Ooh, look at those pretty trees. It's like everything, right? You look at that, you're like, oh, that'd be pretty if that's where we lived. But you know it would be coming in like a week if you lived in a place like that. Some of you used to live in that place. You'd be shoveling snow for the next five months. Um, yeah, right? Most of the time, us, it's like you freak out and you get, you get locked in by the snow until lunchtime. So you can't make it to Safeway until lunchtime and everyone's freaking out. So, so guys, grab your Bibles, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, we are, if you're just joining us today, um, I'm really glad that you're here. You're coming in on a series of sermons. I don't even know how long it's been. Ridiculous amount of time, but like we always say, like, what's the hurry, right? That's what at my house we're talking about. What's the hurry? If we just finished this book, we would do another book. And if we finish that book, what would we do next? Another book. Another book, right? Okay. So that pesky Holy Spirit, sometimes he stops me with like a verse or a word, right? And it's like, stop here, Will. Park here for a little bit. Let's explore this. And so that's what's going to happen today. We're, we're going to, 1 John 5, 18. So it shouldn't be hard to find. Um, but be ready. I've got other scripture for you. So here's kind of my warning to you. It might make sense to make some notes. Because my hope is that you would actually... If anything about what God's leading me to say resonates in your heart, that you would take this throughout the week and look at it some more. Talk about it amongst the people you live with and that you're, that you're around. And so take some notes. Also, we are online, so you can go on YouTube and watch this again later if you miss something. If you want to get a scripture reference, it'll all be out there, so you can take a look at it. Um, but we'll go ahead and get started, but let me just pray. Lord, I pray for your guidance and your word here. And so, Lord, I know that, that we're all here not by accident, but by a sovereign God, a God who reigns and who's in control. And we live in a world and a culture that we might feel is out of control, but you haven't lost control. And so we come into this place uh, to draw near to the refuge that is you. So lead us in your ways. Teach us your word. Give us courage um, to stand against fear, to follow you. Uh, Give us clarity to stand against confusion, to see it as you see it. Lord, give us your spirit to give us the strength and the power and the truth to be men and women who are following you and becoming more like you, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the idea of being a Christian, right, someone who follows Christ, uh, a believer, uh, a child of God, we might use all these descriptive terms. But ultimately, guys, what, what my heart is when we're, Coming here, and as I'm preparing over the weeks, and as Brandy and I wrestle with this stuff at home and experience it, is I know it's going to take some time. It's going to take your whole life to walk this journey out, to become more like Christ. And so I hope that today is helpful. That's what I really hope. That's my prayer. I hope that it's helpful in a way that it might, that the Holy Spirit would either convict you, or encourage you, or redirect you, or remind you something that you forgot. And so we're going we're gonna to take some time here. And so what's worthless is my title, right? Sin and the Believer, right? That's the sermon preached a thousand times. But I probably won't tell you anything that you haven't heard before, uh, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will give it to you in a fresh way that matters. So let me rewind, take a step back. Verse 17, this is where we stopped off last week. 1 John 5, verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And we beat that one to death and came to this conclusion like, if the sin 
that I'm living in has not led to my physical death, right? Has not led to my spiritual death because of Jesus Christ and has not led to all the relational and life death that is the consequence of sin, then my only reaction is to be blown away in praising God for his mercy, right? No, one, no one's here that's married who, who deserves that, okay? Like, your spouse should have got done with you and threw you aside. No one here is a parent that's done that perfectly in a way that your kids should love you and think you're the best parent ever. No one here has been a child to their parent that was perfect and ideal. You haven't been a friend, an employee. You haven't done none of this perfect. And so the fact that you have these relationships, the fact that you have breath, the fact that you're born into such a comfortable place and a comfortable time is all the mercy and grace of God. And so we can rejoice that in, in that. But all the wrongdoing that we do is still sin. Okay. And that sin will have consequence. But whether you're Jesus' Jesus's or not, that will determine uh, what kind of consequences are there. It might be a way to say it. And I don't know if that makes sense, right? Yes, maybe I'm not going to get eternal separation from God, which is what we would call hell, because Jesus has saved me. But he's also trying to save me day by day, and the word that we're using, saved, is, is healing and restored. And so he wants to bring restoration and healing to all the aspects of your life. But the only way to do that is to go his way and live like he lived. It's easy for me to say, but it's also difficult because I fail all the time at doing this. So what John, right? Who's John that wrote this? Let's get the church out of it, the churchianity out of it. Let's, who's John? He's a disciple of Jesus. Did he know Jesus or just read about him? He knew him, right? He knew what he smelt like, okay? Right? right they, they ate together, all that kind of stuff, right? Probably cried together. He saw him with a snot-nosed face. And when he met Jesus, he didn't have blonde feathered hair and carried little lambs and petted them like this. Like, he knew Jesus, right, that got hangry and all that kind of stuff, okay? He knew, he knew that Jesus. Um, he saw him do miraculous things. He's writing a letter to who? The church, the church. The church right, which is, which is the people who are believers. So if you're somebody who believes in Jesus, then good, this letter is for you. If you're not, guess what you can get? in on. That's what I'm going to tell you, okay? So it doesn't matter where you're sitting right now, this can be extremely helpful. So first of all, all wrongdoing is sin. Well, sin is a church word, right? And it's taken on a meaning of its own. And so ultimately, the meaning of it, if we want to get back to the the root word, it has to do with failing to hit a mark, right? I'm failing to hit the mark that God set. This is how you do it, Chris. If you don't do it this way, then... That's sin, because you're missing the mark, right? Corey, this is how, if I was you, this is how I would do it, God is saying, right? When you fail to do that, you're missing the mark. It also means an error of understanding, right? Which makes sense to me, because a lot of the sin that we do, we only do because we don't get it. We don't understand that what we're doing is not working, and it's really foolish, Um, and it could be a bad action. And what's, what's crazy, right, and, and we've been talking about this a lot at my house, it's so easy in the church where we take these sins that we've marked out, and we said, this is the worst. 
And this is like in second place. And this is in third place. But we're so happy with other sins. We're, we're comfortable. As a matter of fact, this place here that you've entered is a breeding ground for gossip. It's a breeding ground for fear. It's a breeding ground for control. And I can say this because I know a lot of you and I know me. And I'm bringing all those things into, into play at times. And those, my friends, are equally leading to death. You know a gossip? Can you really lean into a gossip and trust them with secrets? No. Anyone is like, have someone in their life that's so controlling, right? Ugh. Like, I can see it in the chairs. I can see the way you interact with each other. When we talk. I mean, culturally, I'm, I'm going to get hate mail for this, but culturally, we have this thing where men were so passive and pansies, and the women are so controlling. And there's thousands of these examples everywhere you go. I mean, you see it in the grocery store. You see it in the church. You see it when I want to go talk to the pastor. You're like, you, you see it. You even live it at times, right? If I'm becoming passive, what does the wife, choice does the wife have other than to take charge? When the man's a snail. And then you see yourself being a snail, and it drives you crazy. So all of those is only a, a failure of understanding, and you, you don't, a lot of people I've run into in the church environment, you know, they'll gossip and they'll say later, we really blew it. We were totally gossiping about that. And some of you are like, I've had that talk with you. Yeah, we have. Like, and you're not alone. Like, oh man, we crossed that line. We gossiped. Anyone felt like that afterwards? You don't feel good about that afterwards. If you get engaged in like sexual sin, you don't feel good about that afterwards, right? You, you, you use Substances to escape, whether you caffeinate or you do drugs or, or alcohol or whatever, to numb the pain. When you come back down off of that, the pain's still there. You did that ultimately because you had a failure of understanding. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. And, I, and I think as a pastor, I need to do a better job of not only sitting here and saying, well, yeah, you know, what a sin. To be addicted to pornography. What a sin. To be in adultery. What, what a sin. To be addicted to drugs. What, what a sin, right? To be, um, you know, a murderer. What a, what a sin to be a thief. What a, what a sin to do that when ultimately, equally leading to death is this. What a sin. How much of a gossip we can be. What a sin to be so fearful. What a sin to be so angry. What what a sin to be so controlling. Men, what a sin to be such a snail. Okay, you're all feeling good now, right? Can I go forward? Woohoo, right? So now after I said all that, we'll go to this verse, that the focal verse that I wanted to bring to you. Um, verse 18 says this, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And fascinating enough, we're in a letter, right? We forget that. We're in a, we're in a letter, and so sometimes when I, when I come across a verse, if I'm thinking about it a logical and reasonable way, not in like a churchy way, it's like, dang, what did you mean, John? Right? That's kind of like, I come to that question mark in the road, like, what did you mean, John? Well, sometimes it's helpful to look at other places 
in that same letter. Right? Like, what do they mean in that text? I can't quite get the tone. I can't quite get their voice or their meaning. It might help to look at uh, how that person speaks to you or earlier body of that text, especially a letter because it's longer. So what's interesting is John also wrote about similar things throughout his letter. For example, I wrote up there, 1 John 3, 6 says this, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Dang, what does that mean? Well, what could it mean? What do you think? Persistent sin, that's what's standing out to you? Yeah? Hmm. How have you heard it explained? Lifestyle. lifestyle, okay. So sin is a lifestyle. So if you, if you want to be in Christ, if you want to abide in Christ, if you want to be following Christ, it's saying you shouldn't sin. And, I, and you said you shouldn't live a life of sin. But I feel like I've heard it explained that way before. So, so what, what would that mean this? Here's a couple questions. So does that mean that people who follow Jesus will stop committing sins? No, they still do. It's a fair question, right? It's a fair question. Um, now, once again, here's the problem that I'm going to keep harping on, I think, until like, I die or you guys fire me. So I think we've given, taken words that are simply words and we've made them titles of things that they never meant to be titles. For example... Um, here's a good one that we run into. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? We've given it a title when it was supposed to be a thing, right? Like love, it's like this title for this feeling when actually the word that we're translating is often a verb, something you're doing, right? But we've made it this kind of noun, this thing. And, and here's another example, like sin, like this, this noun. No, it's really this verb. So when I say that, I'm saying as a Christian now, I'm be- it's become impossible for me to have a failure of understanding. It's become impossible for me to miss the mark. It's become impossible for me to make a wrong decision. Now, that doesn't make sense, right? But if you say, but, you know, Steve, I think you kind of mentioned that too. Well, technically, some people might say, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't sin against God. Now you've made sin something it wasn't in the Scripture. We've just made these holy words, which weren't holy words. They were Greek words. That meant something. We put them on this weird pedestal and put a cape on them and called them the something, and all of a sudden it's changed meaning completely. Or is it saying that if I sin, and if I flip that on its head, if I sin, that's proof that I'm not a Christian? But will people tell us that? Okay, let me add another one to you, okay? You guys, man, you guys are getting like A plus here. This is good, this is good. No fist fights yet. So those of you who disagree or think I'm a sinful blasphemer or something right now, you're being quiet. Um, so you're telling me, let me see if I get this right. I'll practice my communication strategies. So what I hear you saying is, it's not fair for us to assume, as people tr- trying to follow Christ, that if we follow Christ, that we will never sin. We'll never have a wrong uh, wrongdoing, never have a lapse in judgment, never have a lack of understanding, never miss the mark. You're saying that, that that's not fair to say just because I'm following Jesus that that would never happen. Is that right? Okay. Now, let me ask you this. What, if I do the wrong thing, should I expect consequence? Yes, definitely. 
right? I would agree with you. And that's the weird um, place with that we float when we, come, when we gather people who are like, man, I, I want to follow Jesus, it's this. I know in some ways, positionally, I'm rescued from this sin. However, I'm not in the present rescued from the consequence of that sin. Clear as mud? Let's see if we can add to the confusion here. So once again, I I bring this to you. Why not look at the other things John was just writing to other Christians? Because at this point, you think about John, right? He comes to Jesus as a young man, follows him, sees these miraculous things, following him, um, becomes like the, the caretaker for his mom at some point in time, part of the early church. All of his homies have been killed basically now, right, for their faith. And he's the only old guy left that's been walking with Jesus. And so now as this older man, he's able to write this letter to Christians based on his experience. And so I want to know what he has to say. Okay, 1 John 5. I see what you're saying here, John. Help me to understand this a little more. Let's go back. Let me bring to you 1 John 3, 9 for your consideration. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Once again, this is what you guys are touching on, okay? The problem we're running into is when, we're, when we continue to practice these sins, it's no longer a lapse in judgment, but now we're giving ourselves over to things that control our lives. For God's seed abides in him. That, is that metaphor of the seed, right? That seed that's planted. Um, that God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Well, that's a whole lot of other questions I don't want to ask and answer right now. But, but basically, you can see they're saying there's this seed in you. And if it's fed right, it's going to grow in such a way that you're just not, it's not going to sit well with you. Anyone here, what's going on in their life isn't sitting well with them. That they're trapped in some kind of groove or pattern that they know isn't right. Anyone feel like that? It's, it's that. You know eternity being built in you. You being created to be in presence with God. You know what your experience is, is lacking based on what was, what was expected and what was planned, right? So that's it. It's that seed and how much we water it will determine how much of our life it takes, right? Another sermon. 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he, ab- he abides in him, who's him? Jesus. Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And this right here, just to be honest and personal, is probably one of the things that I'm asking God most about and I'm talking with my wife most about, this lifestyle of Christ, this being a follower. Christ does this and he's asking me to do the same thing. And then the translation of that into, well, Christ's context and life are not the same as mine, so... Lord, speak to me. Holy Spirit, lead me on how to walk this out like you would if you were in my shoes. Yeah. I mean, anyone over, over 34, you're dealing with stuff Jesus never had to, right? He didn't know what it felt like to be 40, 45, 70, right? He didn't know that. He, there's lots of things he wasn't 
a father, a, a husband in that way, right? He didn't, wasn't an engineer or in customer service. Like, these are things that you can't say, oh, how do I do a customer service rep? Well, it's in there, but you need the Holy Spirit to, to teach you and guide you. So clearly, there's something going on where we're going to learn. But I feel like John, even in his first chapter, he didn't put the chapters there. You get this, right? We did that in the verses. But at the beginning of his letter, he really answered the question that I have. And so as much as I love your answers and I agree with you, you can be easily tricked and deceived. And you all gave me answers that some other dude or lady told you along the way, right? Or that God gave you through study of the Scripture. I hope it's God gave you through study of the Scripture. But the reality is most of us are just speaking what someone else told us that we thought was true, that we've taken on as a truth for ourselves. First John, if you're make, making notes here, First John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, right? Okay, we're back to that. Well, does that mean that, you know, if I'm a Christian, that means I don't sin? If you're like, yeah, that's right, Will. And anyone who does is lying to you, probably not saved. They need to check themselves, not saved. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Could you be a little more strong about that, John? Like, can you quit being such a snail about that? No. If you are telling me that you are perfect and you don't sin, you're a liar. And you're not working out of the Spirit of God. I'll drink water to that. Verse 9. We don't just stop there. right? That's where some of us stop. I'm a sinner. It's so hopeless for me, Corey. I'm just this like humbled person. Um, Verse 9. If we confess our sins, so we have sins, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't stop at that fact that we have the potential and the chance and the probability to fall short of God's plan for us in our life. Just because you got baptized didn't mean like all your flesh died, all your weakness died, all of that, okay? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Another strong language on that. Okay? So I think the answer is really clear. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean now you're incapable of doing wrong, or incapable of missing the mark, or incapable of having a lapse of understanding. Are we all on the same page? Okay? I mean, if not, speak up. Let's talk about it, man. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, I'll be wrong again. But I think if I can go to what this is saying here in this letter, which I would say is the words that God gave to John, which he proclaimed and were written down and tried and tested through prayer and centuries. That's why I'm looking at this. That's why we call it the word of God. Not because God doesn't speak anymore, but he spoke to these men and it was written down. And so we have that. Okay, but let's just say, let's just say John had a bad day, Brandon. He ate some chili at the chili cook-off, and it didn't go so well for him. So what about Paul, right? Paul, who, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he wrote to a church in Rome, right? The Christians in Rome, and, and when we split it up, this showed up in, verse, in chapter 7. I'm going to give you lots of verses here, so you might have to look this up, and it's an extremely small print, so you can practice your eyesight. 
Special for you? Uh Romans 7, beginning with verse 14. Let me just read through this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anyone feel that? Oh, yeah, right? That should be, we all joke, that should be the new amen, you know? Amen. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. A Kool-Aid man or something, oh, yeah. Back in like the 90s, if you were a 90s kid, you might say, word, word. Let's try that, Josh. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Word, word, right, yeah, so. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire Get ready for you guys ready for the word? It's going to come at the end. It's okay. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Word, right? Okay. And you can even mix that up, youngins, just so you know, young blood. You can say word up too. Word up works too. Um, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's word up, right? Truth. Right? Yeah. See, there you go. We can get all the generations going. Uh, I'm getting distracted. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. What's that look like? Oh, I hate what I just did. Verse 21. So I find it to be the law. I find it to be a rule. You can almost count on this. That when I want to do what's right, evil lies close at hand. It's like we should just actually send like the, spe- the secret service to guard you once you get baptized or you say, I'm going to lead a ministry because you know you're going to get your butt handed to you. It's just flat out what's going to happen by the enemy when you step up for God. And when you're a pastor, a ministry leader, you just need a Kevlar bodysuit at all points in time, right? 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that am I, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the the law of sin. Oh yeah, right? That's right. So what seems to happen when I read that, I love it because it's that insanity that happens with me, right? It's just like that kind of pendulum. Like, I want to do what's right, but I keep not doing what's right. And I'm saying that this is right, but then in the moment I'm getting weak and my flesh takes over or my weakness or my fear, right? All these things take over. And really in a thousand words, he's saying the same thing that John said. Like, if you say that you have no sin, you're a liar. But if you're confessing, agreeing, with God, that what you're doing is missing the mark, is lacking understanding, then he is full of grace and mercy to forgive you and cleanse you from that unrighteousness. That's the difference. So I'm, I'm kind of sharing some notes with you, and this might help now or even if you go back and look at this. So ultimately, guys, this is the problem. As long as you have flesh, and let's take the church word out of it, okay? As long as you actually have a body, let me let you in. You guys know the word hangry? Right? About minute 45 of the sermon, you guys will get hangry, you'll get hungry, you'll get angry at the same time. That's your flesh screaming. Most of you so spoiled you want to sleep tonight. 
right? You're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted. You have tremendous limitations, right, based on parts of your life, uh, age, uh, roles, all these kind of things, right? Those kids, you got to feed them, Corey. Oh, man, you know? Um, so your flesh, because your eyes only see what your eyes see. They lie to you, right? Uh, you don't like it when it's cold. It doesn't feel good to be hurt. I'm all needy. I like my wife. I, I want to hug her, you know? I just, I want to touch her. And it's my flesh, right? I want to do that. I want her to be pleased with me. I really do want you guys to like me. And that's weakness. And then sometimes when I want to get a point across, I might be a jerk about it. That's weakness. And as long as I deal with this sexy body and i got to carry it everywhere with me, Corey, I'm going to run into this problem. Your flesh, it's going to do what it does. It's going to choose what it wants. It's going to fool with you. It's going to sin. It's going to see, see things wrong. It's going to want what it wants. Yeah, well, in the want and the need line, right? That's a weird place there. Do you really need? I mean, people can starve themselves for a while, but you might feel like you're dying if you don't eat today. Some of you might die. I mean, I don't know your health, but most of you would not die if you didn't eat today. Um, but you might commit murder if you didn't eat today. So that's a whole other set of issues here. And ultimately, the Spirit of God is always going to testify to the truth. So the Spirit in you is the way of truth. But the battlefield, as they would say, is really for your mind. It's for your mind. It's for your will. It's for your soul, which makes up all those things like emotions and all that kind of, all the inner parts of you, what it's going to agree to, whether it's going to follow your flesh into its deception. Does that make sense? Or is it going to follow, right, the truth which God has put in you, that, that, that is, it going to, is it going to follow the Spirit? So you and I are constantly battling that. And it gets really confusing. What's the spirit? I don't know, Emily. Did you figure it out yet? Spirit and the soul and the flesh. And like everyone writes a book and they have their lines they place in different places. But I know that I have this weird personality. And it's this, com- it's this combination of the way I was just created and what I learned. But in our absolutes, we want it to only be one or the other. And we will fight each other to the end. But there's just certain things about me, the squirrely parts of me that just have been there always and then other parts that have developed. But ultimately, those parts of me are battling versus truth and lie, versus deception, like, I need to eat. No, you don't really need to eat today. Well, I really need you to like me. No, you don't really. Like, it doesn't matter what people think, think about me. Well, it kind of does. What well, kind of doesn't? You're going to battle this truth and lie battle. So, all that to say, okay, what are we saying? Just because I'm a Christian, we'll use that word, that I don't sin. That's, that's wrong. That's a lie. But when I'm sin, when I'm sinful, when I miss the mark, then I try to get on the right track. And how I do that is I start by admitting that I sin and that I ask God for forgiveness and then I stop doing the sin I was doing. It's this church word repentance. I, I change my mind. My mind stops agreeing with my flesh. It begins to agree with the spirit. And then I walk a different way. And then this salvation comes. Not, not just from hell, but from the destruction I'm going to make in my own life if I keep doing this. But here's the next thing that I believe that John is saying here. 
although a Christian has the, the capability, the potential to sin, sin is never the result of fellowship with Christ. Is that true? That's just some man, I said that. And why this is dif- difficult, guys, because if we come back to, to grassroots of this stuff, to uh, follow Jesus should be to do what he does. Okay, well, well, how in the world do I know what he does? Well, the word of God. Well, what's the word of God? Well, it's the Bible. Okay, sure. But you know this, word of God is actually the spoken word. The definition of the word is the spoken word. And what you and I have is not, the, not a spoken word, it's written down. We call it the word of God because it was a written record of what was spoken as inspired by God. But, if we're ever to even believe that prayer should exist, then we have to believe that God's going to speak to us still today. The danger of that is there's so many voices. And so, one of the great measurement tools that we have is if we believe this truth, that following God, He's not going to lead us into sin. So if you think God is asking you to do things that the Bible clearly says is wrong, well, God told me I should really, really be controlling. Did he really? Well, God said for this group, they really need the gossip. For, for this group, um, but for me, like, you don't know my wife, I'm supposed to divorce her. Oh, really? Yeah, that guy really deserved to die. I had to murder him. Really? Yeah, God said. God said? I don't know. Okay, and now you're going to go off on all these like side roads. Well, yeah, can God ever have you killed? Yes, he did. He did have people kill other people. But it wasn't what, what the Ten Commandments are calling some premeditated murder. It's, it's a different context anyway. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. But what I'm saying is I think that is important. Just because, just because we admit that we're Christians and that we can sin, what's the natural um, abuse of that? What, what, is our, what, should, what is our response at times? Because we know that truth. What will we do? License to sin. Oh, it's okay. You know, I'm in process. I'm just a mess. But you know, God still loves me. And then your life is a mess, and you're like, where are you, God? Why don't you come rescue me? Like, I've been trying. Well, I've been, I've been trying. So yes, his, the result of the fellowship with him is never sin. But believers can sin as long as they're living in the confines and the limitations of their fleshly bodies. But those sins are never the result of their walk with Christ. Well, why is that so important? Well, I think it's important because that should keep us from license. That should be like the governor on the engine of our life. Not to just say, it's okay, I can do whatever I want, and the Holy Spirit's going to meet me where I'm at, and going to be fine with where I'm at. Not true. Although God will come meet you wherever you're at, He doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want me to stay there. He doesn't want me to stay where I'm at now. So, however, get this, many aspects of a Christian's life are very different from that of an unbeliever. Because we're, we're, we're governed by a different set of principles and rules. We have a different teacher. Where the world is trying to tell us its things to its students, God is trying to tell his things and commandments and directions to his students on how to live. And a lot of times they're at odds. 
So a Christian, they might see that same stimulus, right? Those same directions from the world. But what they have to do is, is be in a constant, really, state of being transformed and renewed and changed. So if you're not a Christian, this is what I'm inviting you into. It can be tiring, but it's beautiful at the same time. But it's this constant changing, and it's the day-by-day, and it's what we would call living in the Spirit. Okay. Now, living in the Spirit would be, I'm going to pause to all the physical things that I want to do, my reactions, my anger, my fear, my control, my pride. I'm going to stop a moment and know that there's a God who's in control. And I want to follow the Spirit as it moves, at the pace in which it moves, and act when it moves. Okay? Let me give you a practical example that is going to alienate some people, okay? But I can't be a snail, Corey. Okay? I'm supposed to be a man. Who here has kids that go to school in our area, that leave the home and go to school? Okay. Out of all those people, I'm one of them, okay? Who actually spends time in those classrooms, teaches does whatever. Because I'm the only one. Okay. Who's heard about the awful things that are happening in schools? Have you? Yes. I have too. But I've been in the classroom. And I've had tons of conversations with people. But Will, they're doing this in school. They're doing this in school. They're not. Not here. They're not. I'm, I'm teaching in there sometimes. They do that at your school? Not what they're saying on the news. That has everyone 60 plus like so pissed off, right? Do they do that in your school? Do they do all those things that they're saying on the news? I mean, is it okay at your school that you're a Christian? I mean, it may make you weird, but is it okay? You're quiet, yeah. Well, you go to school where they want you to be a Christian, so that kind of helps. But here's what I'm saying. There's one example. If you believe what the world says and you don't go beyond your fleshly reaction, you're going to want to go pick at the schools. But my kids who went to public school, actually, they were actually taught, guys, get this. Johnny had a teacher who was talking about the Jews and about creation and about the theory of evolution. And so there's people so pissed off, man. They're like burning school district flags or something like that, angry for things that aren't happening, you know? And so we do this because we react in the flesh. You hear something from the world, and the Christians act just the same. And then what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? You both have the potential to sin, to deceive, to, del- to lie, and to hurt me, but neither one of you could give a crap about the Spirit. And you might think you're in the Spirit because you speak in tongues, but in the next minute you get angry for absolutely no reason without investigating it. Does that, does that make sense? I got to be a man and speak this truth to you because God's people got to start acting like God's people. Okay? So we've got to look past our feelings, our desires, and our emotions to the truth. But if we give our mind over to those emotions, then we're the, we're the herd mentality, right? We're the, we're the people who grab the Apostle Paul and like, we're going to kill you. Well, do you know who I am? Oh, yeah, you're the Ethiopian revolutionary. No, that's not me. Oh, dang, I guess I shouldn't be trying to kill you. Oh, well, who cares? We still want to kill you, right? And that's kind of what's happening now. How dare you ask me to wear a mask if I come into Panda Express? I'm going to beat you with a bat. Well, how Christian of you. I'm sure that 15-year-old is really going to come to church now and think God is a great thing. 
So some of you won't be coming back next week. That's all right. That's okay. I just got to remind you because you guys need to breathe and calm down. God is still on the throne. And we want to get worked up on that, but we won't get worked up on the sin in our life. It's like my wife was even telling me, but, well, you see this is true. Why don't you do it? Oh, dang. That should be the crap that makes me angry. That should be the stuff that keeps me up at night. That's the stuff I should get passionate about instead of these other things. See, because temptation will continue to exist and wrong views and belief systems will still come at you. There's tons of world systems with Christian, that are Christian-flavored artificially and naturally flavored for your goodness, right? Christian-flavored, um, full of riboflavonoids and all the other things that a Christian needs. But, and these belief systems will continue to vie for your attention. However, actively pursuing sin as a continual practice is not the mark of someone who has been changed by Christ. Let's just say that again. Actively pursuing sin as a continual practice is not the mark of someone who has been changed by Christ. Hmm. So now back to that verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. What... How do you want us to apply that, Lord? I think if I look at that and I see that I could keep on sinning, something's wrong. Right? If, if, I can, if I'm continually gossiping, if I'm continually trying to control the world around me, if I'm continually living in anger, continually living in fear, continually addicted to some kind of substance, continually on drugs, continually looking at porn, continually in adultery, I'm continually stealing. Then that should cause some fear. Right? Yeah, right? Continually in these things, that should be like alarm. Right? Like, wait. The Holy Spirit should be knocking at your heart's door saying, we've got to stop this. Because this is not the mark of someone being changed by Christ. As a matter of fact, you're not being changed if you're still doing the same thing. But here's the good news, verse 18. But he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. He and hems. Those are, those are like hard to follow sometimes, right? He and hems. Um, looking at that, here's what I found. This phrase, but he who was born of God. There's three, there's three main uh, opinions about what this means. One, it could be that he could be another Christian. Because anyone who is a believer or a Christian has been born of God. That sounds fair, right? Okay. Second option, Jesus. Because Jesus was the firstborn, right, of many. He was born of God. It could be Jesus. Third person, it could be the person, him or herself, right? You, who've been reborn of, of God protects him or himself, and the evil one does not touch him. I think it's talking about Jesus. I don't know for sure. But the application, I believe, is mostly the same. Because the good news of Jesus is this. It's not that you stop sinning and that you get it all together. The good news about Jesus is, even though you aren't 
perfect. While you were still imperfect, blind and running from God, Christ died for you so that he could pay for your continual sin and invite you out of that into life. And if you don't take it, he'll let you stay there. But if you will, there's a power of God to transform you. But none of us are letting the power of God transform us. Not not like he intended. And the application is this, that walking closely with Jesus means being in the power that battles against sin and temptation and all sorts of evil. A battle that Jesus in some ways already won, but in other ways will ultimately win. It's back to that absolutes. Come on, Pastor Will, can't you tell me the minimum requirement here so I could just get through to heaven and I can continue to live the ways I want? It's just the wrong question. Well, Will, what about this person, heaven or hell? Wrong question. The question I have to ask myself is, Will, why, why are you going halfway? I read this, and it was some man wrote it, but I think it's profound and true. And he was applying, to, applying this to people who lead in ministries, but it's true for everyone. I think our biggest problem is that people who believe in Christ don't really preach the gospel, don't really preach the good news to themselves. And so short term, you can give grace and mercy and forgiveness that inspires. But long-term, with those people closest to you, you always treat them like you treat yourself. And if you don't give yourself the truth, the good news of Jesus, and all that it means, if you're not telling yourself this constantly, then it's just a matter of time before the people around you, you begin to treat the same way. He who's born... of God will protect you. So yeah, if it's the other believers, can't we help each other from the evil one? Can't we pray for one another? That's what John was just talking about. Pray for your brother if the sin they're in hasn't led to death, that they would change their direction and that life would come in. Right? You want to follow God, then love your neighbor. So I could see that as a person who's been remade, renewed, regenerated, right? That you would pray that God would protect your brothers and sisters in Christ. For sure, that person themselves, they've got to be praying, God, protect me from the battle at hand. Protect me from the evil one. Protect me from the temptation. And ultimately, Jesus, he's the one that wins the battle for you. But why try to go um, Jesus adjacent? Why not be with Christ, in Christ, near Christ, doing what he does, walking out what he walks out? Well, what do we do? Well, what do we do with what you've given us? I don't know. I mean, I should have a saying, right? Like a phrase. 
But then I'd just be the next guy that told you something that you would just regurgitate to someone else. So we're already in John, and I think he said it best right here. We're already in 1 John, I should say, in case you're listening to my voice. We're in 1 John, and he said it best. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess, which means to speak the same thing, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can make that a little more practical for me, Will. Okay, I'll do that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Uh, a few things. Let's say these words that I believe God had put in my heart to share with you, somehow, through all that nonsense, right, you were able to get this message that if you feel stuck in this pattern of sin, that today... If you're hearing this, today is the day that you put the brakes on it. Okay? You don't change in a day, necessarily. I get that. That you put the brakes on it. And now is a beautiful time for that, okay? And what that looks like is, maybe you're here with someone that you trust, that can pray with you, that you can ask God to help you out of that rut, right, and go a different direction. I'm agreeing with what you're saying, God, that this is wrong, that I'm doing this. It is not what you have for me. I'm missing the mark, and I'm doing it because I lack understanding. Help me to understand so that I can hit the mark, that I can walk in you. Maybe that's you. If that's you, uh, talk to someone that you love around you. Or, you know what, I'm looking right here in the back, and there, there is Jackie, and she would love to be praying with you. And then over here, they don't even know I'm volunteering for this, but that's what happens when you're an elder, right? So then you've Tim and Jamie back here. I know, man, we got some powerful prayer warriors right here. You can go to them, and, and they would be happy to pray with you. You can come up here to me, and I'd be happy to pray, pray with you, okay? Now, let's say, let's say that's not where you're at. Maybe you're like, I don't feel like I'm really stuck in that pattern. Well, you probably are, but you don't know it yet. So that's fine. That's another day for you. Could you simply praise God in this moment? That Jesus has rescued you from all your, maybe it's a variety of mistakes. That he's continued to give you life in areas that should be dead. And so that you would praise him. And you could do that by like singing a song or, or praying to him. And thirdly, maybe this whole Jesus thing is kind of new to you. And you want, you want to know more about that, but you're feeling something, and you don't know what it is. Well, those, those groups back there in my cell, we'd love to talk with you and pray with you too. Is that, is that pretty clear? Another cool thing that's happening in the back here, we've got a communion set up. And the way we're going to do it today is as this song plays, there'll be two songs left, right? Two songs left, and after that, we're going to pray over Brittany, who gets to go back in the, in the mission field, which is awesome, after being stuck at home. So we're going to pray for her at the end of the service. But before that, you can go back, 
And, and the whole point of communion is, is that we come to the table, we remember what the disciples did. We come to the table with Christ, and we have bread which, which uh, symbolizes his body, which was broken for us because something had to die to pay for our sins, and he was the perfect sacrifice. So his body was broken so that my transgressions don't mean an end to me. And then the juice, it symbolizes his blood. The blood that washes us from all our sin and unrighteousness. So that's such a great reflectory time, right? A time to remember and reflect. And maybe you're so confused now, you just need to sit there with like a blank stare on your face, and that is cool too, okay? But we're going to go down with the lights, take communion, pray, realize that you're in the presence of God, and uh, just praise Him for what He's done, okay? Let me, let me just prime it with a little prayer of my own. Lord, we come to you, and whatever work that you want to do, I say, please, Lord, do it. You have all authority in heaven and on earth, and so we, we don't want to put those reins on you, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just well up, that you would just fill the believers, and that you would fill them with your voice and your truth, Lord, and, and give them what they need, whether it's encouragement right now, whether it's conviction, right now, whether it is just being blown away by your mercy, your goodness, and your love. Lord, I pray that you'd give courage, that you'd smash all the voices of the enemy and other people who are constantly trying to beat these men and women down, and that they would feel free to speak up, free to ask for prayer, free to lay down all the things that you're asking them to do. I pray this, Jesus, in your power and in your name, knowing that you can do anything. Amen.